Welcome. Welcome. Let's welcome Sam Gozo, all the way from Rawway, <laughs> on the way to Texas. <laughs> all right, we're going to, um, thank you, we're going to actually start our new series today, um, The Victorious Cross. Um, the Cross series is um, something that we do every single year, faithfully, religiously. For the last three years, we've been faithful in doing this, and I think we're going to keep this tradition up all the way until Christ comes. <laughs> um, I think it's a good tradition. You know, there's, there are some traditions that people have that are not bad, but then there are others that are real bad, and we need to drop those traditions. But traditions such as this, um, it's a good thing because we constantly need to be reminded of the cross. Uh, I don't think that we major enough on the cross we met new major on the benefits of the cross, which is okay, which is good and, and right. But we need to major on the cross and what it represents for us and how do we appropriate what Jesus did for us um, in our daily lives in 2016 and so forth. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people today. I pray that you'll season my words with grace that I may speak a word to them that are weary. I pray that you'll strengthen their faith as we look at the cross, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Give us wisdom and guidance. Um, seize, give me supernatural utterance that I may boldly may know the mystery of the gospel. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, we're going to look at the cross. Why do you think that this is important? I mean, don't answer this verbally, but in your heart and your mind, answer it. Why, you, why do you think preaching about the cross, studying the cross every single year, which should be studied throughout our personal lives, why do you think that that, that is important? Um, it is important because we need to understand what took place at the cross. We need, it is important that we, we understand why we need the cross, it, it, and it's something that we should never forget. If we ever forget the cross, then we won't have biblical Christianity. We, we, we won't have it. So there is no Christianity without the cross. The Christianity begins at the cross. Now, some people actually believe that Christianity ends at the cross. And it doesn't. It begins. It begins. There's some seminaries and different ones who, when they preach the cross, it's like, that's it. But it actually is the beginning. It's the beginning of new life. The cross is where God's wrath and judgment is completely satisfied. God's judgment and wrath is completely satisfied. The cross is where death is defeated, where the works of Satan are destroyed, uh, the works of Satan, you can look at it as, as you look at 1 John chapter 3, we can see that they're destroyed at the cross. As believers, we need to grow in our understanding of the cross. So when we realize what Christ did for us at the cross, we will walk in true freedom. True freedom. True freedom begins when we understand what took place at the cross. So you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... We see the life of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. Come here. Go to your grandmom in the other room. 
the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, at the um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we see from Romans to Jude, we see the application or the implication of the cross, how to apply it, how to apply it. So if you just had the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, your Christianity will be incomplete. Everybody got quiet. <laughs> Everybody is quiet, right? Okay, so, so it's important that you don't study just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because you only see what Jesus did. But you don't understand why he did what he did. You just understand, you know, you know from Matthew 1 that Jesus came to save us from our sins, but you don't really understand all that took place at the cross. It's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see redemption accomplished and Romans through Jude, we see redemption applied. We see the cross accomplishing some things, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we see in, in Romans through Jude, redemption applied to our everyday life. So you really need the epistles. The epistles, if, if you had to, if I had to suggest one thing, if you only had, you spend most of your time in the Bible besides reading through the Bible, the passages or the chapters or the books that you need to study the most is actually the epistles. Because the epistles tell us who we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ. It's the epistles. It's not Roman, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it actually shows us the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, but the, the, um, the application or implications of the cross it's actually applied in Romans through Jude. And then in the book of Acts, you see them applying what Jesus accomplished in the book of Acts. All right. So this is why it's important. Um, we, we will, um, some, of these, some of these things we'll teach on Thursday nights for our Bible study. Woo. Bible study starts Thursday night, March 24th. 7.30 p.m. Uh, we may have a song or two, but the rest of the time is going to be teaching, and then we're going to go right into the um, questions and answering after that. But we'll talk about our redemption rights, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. Um, these precious, precious truths are called um, in him realities, in him realities or in Christ realities. So these are things of who we are and what we have in Christ, of what we are. So you have to really take some time to go through the scriptures to find out who you are in Christ. And so we'll do that on Thursday nights. We'll spend um, a bunch of time just looking at these precious truths. And how many want to know what God has made us in Christ and what he has given us in Christ? C come out on Thursday nights, starting March 24th, and there'll be straight teaching and also a time of Q&A. Um, the cross is where we find life, is where victory is won. The resurrection is manifested, oh, is manifested victory over sin, death, and hell. So go with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It is hot in here. Oh God, I don't want to go to hell. No, I'm fine. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Let's look at verses 18, 18 through 25. Actually, I'm sorry, verses 18 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read this. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version. Let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, For the word of the, tr- of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will throat. throat. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? What is the, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it is pleased through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ (coughs) and him crucified. And I was with you and in weakness and in fear and much trembling and much speech. And my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of, of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Amen to the reading of the word. That is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Thank you. Um, All right, so here we go. Let's look at verses 18 and 9. I mean, chapter 1, verses 18 and 9. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right. So what does that mean? Um, You've heard it's through the foolishness of preaching, right, that people are saved. I think King James translates it that way, but that's not a correct translation. All right. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. It's not. The preaching itself that is foolish, but is rather the message in which it's been preached. It is the message of the cross that is foolishness to the unbelievers. It isn't the cross itself. 
It's the message that offends, not the cross. Did y'all hear me? There is no power in the cross. The power is in the message. It's the message that is powerful. So what is the message of the cross? It is that God is judge, that he is king, he sets the rules, he is ruler, he is Lord and master. Humanity, the message of the cross, lets us know that humanity is sinful and deserves death and punishment for all eternity. So when you're preaching the cross or the message of the cross, you're saying that God is king, he's master, he's Lord, he's ruler, and you're saying that humanity is sinful. Humanity is not okay. That humanity's relationship with God is marred by sin. So this is why the cross, the message of the cross is offensive. The cross tells us that we're not perfect. The cross tells us that we're not okay. It tells us that we are in need of a savior. The cross lets us know that Adam's sin was not acceptable in the sight of God, neither are our sins. The cross represents all of humanity. Uh, it, is, it brings us to the truth of who God is and who we are. It doesn't make sense to the world. When we talk about the cross, it doesn't make sense to the world. Unfortunately, some believers, they don't understand the need for, for the cross or the, the message of the cross. Salvation isn't affirming our goodness, but rather it's affirming God's goodness. It brings us to the reality that God is just and powerful and good. The message of the cross reveals to us the love of God, God's love for humanity. It also brings us, um, lets us know that salvation is provided for us in Christ. The cross is God's love on display. Let that sink in a little bit. The cross is God's love on display. It is, it is God's thoughts about us. We were on his mind when Christ was on the cross. Say that again. We were on his mind when Christ was on the cross. The cross reminds us that Jesus took our place, an innocent man, for our sinful people. The cross is the power of God. It is the power of God um, to us who are being saved. Let's read that again. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So God's power is at in action at the cross. The cross, the message of the cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. Notice it says being saved. You are being saved. All right. That, that lets us know that our salvation is in three tenses. We were saved, past, present, and future. We were saved. We're being saved. And we shall be saved. Well, what, how does that make sense? If you can get a hold of this, this makes a whole, this will make a whole lot of sense as you read the scriptures. Romans chapter ten, verse nine and ten says, "You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God is raising him from the dead. You shall be saved. Why, why you shall be saved? What's that about?" Then Romans eight talks about the hope that we have is that hope shall save us. And then according to James chapter one, it says, "Receive the word of God with meekness, which is able to save your soul." All right, so we see. 
that we were saved. In other words, we were crucified with Christ. Right? We were. When Christ died on the cross, the salvation for our spirits took place. That means that we were brand new. We were a brand new creature. We, our identity is with Christ. And so we were saved. We were born again. We were, our spirits were recreated. We, our spirits became something that it wasn't before. So we were saved. And then we're being saved as we embrace the message of the cross, as we eat and feed on the word of God, our souls are being saved. What, 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 what do you mean, Pastor Dwayne? It means that that, that word is saving our souls. It's, sa it's renewing our minds. It's renewing um, our identity. It's reminding us of our identity in Christ. Our soul, our what is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, your, your emotions, right? Your, your, your personality. So your soul is being saved. Your spirit is the one that is just like God. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so when it says that we are created in the image of God, it's not the, the human form of God, but it's the spirit. We are made or born again of the same spirit. We're born again by the spirit of God. So God's spirit lives inside of our soul, spirits. Our spirits are one with the Lord. Are you with me? That's 1 Corinthians talks about we are one with the Lord. And so we were saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. What's the future tense? That speaks of our bodies. We're going to have brand new bodies. When the, when the Lord Jesus comes, those who died in him prior to his coming shall be resurrected. So whether it was the body was cremated, whether it was buried, whether it was given in the sea, supernaturally the spirit of God is going to gather all our body parts and bring it together and we'll have brand new bodies. So this body that you have now is the body you're going to have later. It's just being perfection. It'll be perfect. So the Bible says when he comes, he's going to crack the sky and we who are alive will be changed in a moment. What's going to change about us? Not our spirit, man, but our bodies. So our bodies will be resurrected body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about that, 15 and 16. And so here we go. So we were saved, we're being saved, and we shall be saved. So you're being saved now by that message. That word of God is able to save you from sin. Amen. All right. Um, so the cross made this possible. Jesus saves to the utmost. What does that mean? He saves completely. There's not one area of our lives that isn't saved, that God has not made provision for our salvation in every area. Let me say that again. There's not one area in our lives that Jesus has not made provision for salvation in that area. I want you to hear this. Let this seek in to your hearts and your minds. There's not one area in your life that Jesus has not made provision for salvation in that area. Any area that you are perishing in, there's salvation for that area. 
Let me, let me say it another way. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Any area that you are perishing in, you need to believe in the son of God in that area. Healing. If you are dealing with sickness in your bodies, there's provision for healing in Christ. God, Jesus did not only die for, and see some parts of the body of Christ, they only focus on us being saved from sin. But I want you to know that the full gospel says that God saved all, saves us to the utmost. He saved every area of our lives. He saved us from fear. He saved us from poverty, for, from hatred, socially dysfunctional families. It's, it's, it is now. The curse is broken now. In Christ, it doesn't have to be passed on to, your next, to the next generation. So salvation has been provided for in every area of our lives. You can have peace. So not only can you just not just have peace with God, but you can have peace from God. You can have peace in the midst of hell. And so most Christians in general and most Christians that I know only walk in a little bit of the salvation that Christ provided for us. Man, <laughs> that makes you want to come out. So you need to come out on Thursday nights. <laughs> Advertisement. Because you need to find out what God did for us in Jesus and how that provision is in every area of our lives. You don't have to sit there and take pain and let it just torment you. You don't have to have suicidal thoughts or just thoughts that torment you. You have authority through Christ over demons and over situations. And Jesus tells us again and again to speak to situations uh, there is truth in that speaking to situations. God, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Is this all right? <laughs> what if you said no? What would I say? I'm still preaching, right? <laughs> so we were saved at the cross. We, were, we are being saved through the cross and, and through the renewing of the mind. And our bodies shall be saved through the resurrection of the dead. We confess this every week. And, and we believe in one universal apostolic church. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. Who's going to be resurrected? We are. Dead in Christ. <laughs> That's if we die in the midst of Christ coming back, you know, before Christ comes back. The cross makes this possible. Jesus saves, again, to the utmost. There is, I'm going to say this again, there isn't one part of our lives that Christ didn't make provision for. There isn't one part of our lives that Christ did not make provision for. In a few weeks, Brother Allen is going to talk about the great exchange or the divine exchange that took place at the cross. Most Christians only walk in part of what God has accomplished in the cross. The cross is God's power to save, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to release God's grace in our lives. Amen. The cross, God's grace releases God's grace, I mean, the cross releases God's grace in, the, in our lives and brings us to a new reality. At the cross, God's power was on display. The cross revealed God's love for humanity and his willingness to deal with sin, the sin problem, and its ugly offsprings. 
What are some offsprings of sin? Death, hell, the grave, sickness, disease, famine, violence, and so forth. All of those things are the ugly offsprings of sin. Now, the cross doesn't make sense. The message of the cross doesn't make sense to those who have been blinded by Satan. Satan has blinded people. And unfortunately, Satan has blinded some believers. Now, 1st, 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 talks about if this gospel is here, it is here from those who do not believe, who, who, the, who are perishing, whom the God of this world has blinded. But the reason why we need to pray Ephesians chapter 1 prayer over and over and over and over and over again is because we have been blinded by our own prideful heart, our sinful nature, and Satan is using that. Do you realize this is how Satan is bl has blinded people? Has blinded people through their sinful nature. Satan uses sin to blind people. God uses righteousness to set them free. The righteousness that is accomplished in Christ. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. If you're in Christ Jesus, you can never grow in this righteousness. Your awareness of the righteousness that you are, you can grow in. But you can, you'll never be more righteous than you are right now. Now, the fruit of righteousness is what we call holiness or sanctification. You can grow in your sanctification. You can grow in holiness. But Jesus accomplished righteousness for us. So his righteousness was imputed unto us at the cross. Everybody got quiet on that. If you don't agree with it, just think about it. Satan is afraid of the message of the cross reaching his members. Satan is afraid of the message of the cross reaching his members. We have to go after his members. Satan's church is bigger than God's church. And we have to go after Satan's members. This week, this past week, last two weeks, we talked about witnessing to the lost. And guess what? I had an opportunity to witness to the lost. And right there in my classroom, I, I, me and another co-worker, I mean, um, uh, me and one of my students witnessed to another student about who Christ is. That it's amazing. If you pray that prayer for God to open up a door, he'll open the door. I'm, I'm serious. We, we have to get dissatisfied with just coming to church without anybody. Every week I'm inviting someone. Every week I'm looking for opportunities to share the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. It's not enough just to sit down and be saved and read your Bible sometimes and, 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 and other Lord come to church and then your friends and your loved ones are dying and going to hell. We need to have a passion. A com we need to have a fire and a passion about us as it relates to reaching the lost. Satan is afraid of the message of the cross reaching his members. If they hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit will open their eyes to see the truth. The Holy Spirit moves on the message of the gospel. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit moves on the message of the gospel. If we preach the gospel, he's able to move on it. Like I said, you can pray for somebody to get saved, but until they hear, there's no they're not going to get saved. The message of the cross releases the muscle of God in the lives of men and women. 
Let me say that again. The message of the cross, which is the gospel, which is Christ, releases the muscle of God in the lives of people. So guess what? There's a lot of, lot of opportunities. There's a lot of things what we call the gospel is not the gospel. Inspirational is not the gospel. To inspire, to inspire you to be a lawyer, to inspire you to, to be your, your um, you know, a better version of yourself now. Those things are good, but that's not the gospel. Are y'all with me? You know, I'm not coming against inspiration. There is a place for inspiration. We need inspirational speaking. I won't even call it preaching, but speaking. Because it moves us in a place of thinking bigger than what we are. But the message of the cross is what God uses to save people. Remember, it's the message or the word of the cross that is the power of God. So if you remove the message of the cross, then you remove the power of God. That's why in some churches or some gatherings, it's no power. Because the message has to be there. It's not the cross itself, but it's the message of the cross. Remember Romans chapter 1 verse 16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, then to the Greek, and to those who believe. Don't mess with the message. People wearing the cross, or what represents the cross around their necks, and even got it engraved on their skin. There's no power in the symbol of the cross. I mean, that blows, I mean, that stops a whole lot of people. Like, whoa, they have a little nice necklace. Now, if you have a necklace, I'm, I don't want to offend you. I'm not saying that throw away your necklace. And we don't even know necessarily, <coughs> necessarily what the cross looked like. There's some debate that it was, it was like the T. Others debate like it was the capital T. Others are saying it's like an X. So we don't really know what the cross actually looked like. But I think there, there's people put more faith in the symbol than they do in the message. Again, there's no power in the symbol of the cross. The power is in the content. If you notice throughout the Bible, God doesn't use signs to change anybody. You, you can't, God doesn't deal with his people in the sense of, now I believe in signs and wonders, but the signs and wonders are pointing us to the message of the cross. It's advertisement for the message of the cross. Signs and wonders are not something that we are to seek after. Uh, what does the scripture say? Those that of a wicked and an, uh, uh, an adulterous generation, they seek after a sign. And the only sign that will be given unto them is the son of man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. So we're not to seek after signs. Don't ever pray, Lord, if this is you, open this door. Lord, if this is you, let a red car go back. Don't pray that. You open yourself up for the devil. Lord, let me hear your voice. Don't ever pray to hear the voice of God. Everybody got quiet. Don't ever pray to hear the voice of God. Because the Satan, who is the God of this world, will accommodate you. Don't pray for a sign. Lord, give me a sign. If this is you, Lord, let somebody make my favorite cake. Let Chick-fil-A be open on a Sunday. You know, some people have prayed those prayers. And I wasn't one of them <laughs> for the Chick-fil-A on Sunday. <laughs> I know it's you. If Chick-fil-A is open on Sunday and all of a sudden they have a special on, on a Sunday. Say, Sunday we're going to celebrate the Lord and half the church, Chick-fil-A will be open. 
Don't pray for a sign. Don't look for the voice of God. The voice of God is in the scriptures. Mm. Signs and wonders don't change the hearts of men, but they are simply pointing to the one, the greater one. God communicates to people through words. When he gave, when he gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't give them just a, he didn't give them a sign, but he actually gave them words. Words. God communicates with humanity through words. Through words. Don't ever, don't ever underestimate the power of words. Don't ever underestimate the power of words. You are here today as a result of words. Mom and dad said, dad said some things to mom and you were conceived. <laughs> or maybe that was some music on Luther or somebody, Freddie Jackson or somebody on the radio and whoa, words were spoken and things happened. <laughs> Don't ever underestimate the power of words. God communicates to people through words. The opening chapter in the Bible says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. It's the words. So the message, the power is not in the symbol, but in the message. Man, that's worth going home and eating some ribs. <laughs> it is through words in which God changes the hearts of humanity. It's through words in which grace is released in the heart. It is through words that people are saved. Romans 10, 9, 10, chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ or the word of God. Faith comes through words. So God uses words to heal, to save, and to deliver. It's through words that people are, receive deliverance. You remember the scripture in Psalm 107, verse 20. Write it down if you're taking notes. Psalm 107, verse 20. It says, and he sent his word and healed them. God uses words. Likewise, we should use words to bring the lost to Christ. We should not rely on any other thing than, than, than words. We should pray for the lost through our words. And we should speak the word of God to the lost and the Holy Spirit uses the prayers in the message of the cross to bring the lost into the light so guess what happens what where Satan will have deceived where Satan has deceived most believers is they don't open their mouths they sit down on the truth and they don't say anything about the cross because they don't want to offend anybody they sit down. They shut their mouths. God brings people into your life for, not, for you not to um, just co-sign on their jokes, their dirty jokes and, and, and their lifestyle, but for you to speak the truth. You should feel convicted about sitting there and not saying anything. Open up your mouth and share the gospel. Share about the goodness of God. Preach the message of the cross. We should use words through prayer to change the world. We should use words to change our lives. God made us speaking beings. 
So, so use your words to the glory of God. Use your words to the glory of God. You are today the result of words. Everything that you've said in the past shows up in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, it goes on and says, For it's written, he talks about destroying the wisdom of the wise and, and overcoming, um, discerning the discerning. And he goes forth and he talks about this. God overthrows the plans of evil men and Satan. He prevents them from establishing their plans. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So we see God has brought to nothing the wisdom of those who thought they were wise. He rules over evil. Evil will never prevail because God rules. Verse 21 says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let's take a look at this. God didn't come like the world or the religious people thought he, sh he should, should come. But rather, um, they cannot know God through wisdom, the wisdom of this world. So you, can't, you still can't know God through philosophy or reasonings. These are the types of people who forever learning but never able to come to the truth. Just because you have books in your library doesn't mean that you are smart. Just because you have money doesn't mean that you are good with money. True wisdom comes from God alone. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God was pleased to save through the foolishness of what was being preached. Growing up, I heard that it was the preaching that was foolish. How many ever heard that? The preaching itself. Oh, I guess I'm isolated. Um, but I understood that it was just the preaching. But it's not the preaching. It's the message. <laughs> it's the me message that is foolish to the world. Foolishness in the eyes of the world is, is the content. Precious in the eyes of the saints. It isn't the preaching that saves, but it's what we preach. It isn't the witnessing that saves, it's what we're saying that qualifies us to be witnesses of the grace of God in Christ. Preaching doesn't save, but God, the gospel saves. The gospel of Christ, which we preach, saves. Let's keep the focus. Just talk about God. Just talking about God doesn't mean that you're preaching the cross. Just because you're talking about God doesn't mean that you're preaching the cross. The cross is a clear message of God's wrath and his judgment, God's grace and mercy. The message of the cross brings us to our needs. Our needs. Notice, it isn't just hearing the message, but it's actually believing the message. Hearing is in the aim, but believing is. Did you hear me? Hearing is not the aim, it's believing. The message of the cross entails God's love and judgment, God's solution and man's problem, God's plan and man's ignorance, the whole counsel of God. It's what life is about. The message of the cross provides purpose to humanity. Without the cross, there is no purpose for existence. Without the cross, and when I talk about the cross, I'm talking about the message of the cross. 
What about the saints before the cross? I'm glad you asked. They were living for the promise of the cross. And we're living in light of the fulfillment of the promise of the cross. Let's look at verse, verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice that he sends to the Gentiles. Well, well, actually, let's go back to, to, the, um, to the Jews. To the Jews. It is a stumbling block to the Jews. The message of the cross, Christ crucified, is where the provision for salvation is. It is a stumbling block, causing many Jews, even to this day, to stumble over it. Because they can't wrap their minds around Christ crucified. Why would God send his son to die on a cross? Why would this be the way of salvation? This is what they're asking. Why would he become poor in order to make us rich? Why wouldn't he just not overthrow the powers that be of the day as he promised our father Abraham and give us the land that he promised? Why would he have to be born of a virgin? This is a stumbling block for the Jews. For, but to the Gentiles, they want to know why. Why would God or divinity come care for humanity? Could God die? This is what they're asking. How could Jesus be God and man? How could he exists. This is foolishness to our understanding. This doesn't make sense or doesn't line up with scientific reasonings. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 24 and 25, it talks about that Christ is the power of God in the wisdom of God. And I'm going to read this and I'm going to call it a day. It says verse 26, 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, I, I, I I, I stumbled over that over and over, even as a young lad. I just didn't understand, what is it? What are you trying to say, Paul? Are you saying that there's foolishness of God and there's weaknesses of God? But this is what I interpret. Basically, he's saying that those who are in Christ, or those who are called, despite their background, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So everybody say, Christ is... The power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, so Christ is God's power on display. His plan and manifestation according to Ephesians 1. So what is considered foolishness of God is wiser than man. And what is considered the weakness of God is stronger than man. It's the gospel that is considered to be foolish and weak. It isn't saying that God is foolish or weak. It's simply saying that the, by the, the means of grace, he chose to save. He chose to save. So Christ is the power of God. He's the muscle of God. He's the will of God in action. He is the manifestation of God. He's the Godhead manifested. God it was please, pleasing to God that all the Godhead will dwell in Christ. And as the philosophers said, Paul quoting one of their poets, is in Christ we live and move and have our existence. Colossians says that God used Christ to create the world. Christ is the wisdom of God. 
He's the power of God. So if you remove Christ from your preaching, we have no power. We have no message. The gospel music as it's known, if there's no Jesus, there's no power, there's no gospel. It's no longer good news. Four, four things I want to leave, leave with you. Number one, there's no power, there's no Christianity without the cross. There's no Christianity without the cross. Number two, the cross should always be identified with the person and work of Christ. The cross should always be identified with the person and work of Christ. Number three, the cross doesn't make sense to the world. The cross doesn't make sense to the world. Number four, it's the message of the cross that saves. I'm going to say it again. One, there's no Christianity without the cross. Number two, the cross should always be identified with the person and work of Christ. Number three, the cross doesn't make sense to the world. And number four, it's the message of the cross that saves. Father, we do thank you for this time of, of sharing about the victorious cross. Lord, thank you for this message. In Jesus' name, amen.